All right. Happy Easter, everybody. We're sorry, but we did not have our Easter bunny mascot ready for today. Hope you're not too disappointed. I'm sure that as we have children, we may seriously consider. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm into all that, but I was always into Easter candy. You know, them Easter little yellow marshmallows. Yeah. Tweets, tweeps. Yeah. 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 I used to enjoy that. I didn't always enjoy the hard-boiled eggs. Some of them, they were done way too soon, and, and by the time you get them, it's all nasty inside, discolored inside. Anyway, uh, I, I miss, though, dyeing the eggs. You remember back in the day, you used to dye eggs and color them and stuff? I don't know what that had to do with the gospel, but it was fun. <laughs> all right, so uh, we just want to welcome everyone here, even if... Uh, uh, you don't normally go out to church, and this is your first time here at New Philly. We want to welcome you. Uh, this is a good place for you to be. It's a safe place. Uh, it's a place where you can really, even if you're not a believer, uh, you can even investigate the claims of Christ without being uh, fearing that people are going to judge you or label you. All right, you can just you can. We we want to bless you on that journey to really walking with God, walking with Christ. And so there's no judgment here. Uh, half the room, they have crazy testimonies. They've probably done far more wicked things than you ever have. So we're a house of saved saints who used to be terrible sinners. Chief of sinners, as Apostle Paul used to say. All right, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verse 1 through 14. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. If you don't have a Bible, be sure to look at a Bible of a one, one of your neighbors and follow along. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we will no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Say dead to sin. Alive to, God. Alive to God. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. 
to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments from righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. Isn't that good sometimes just to read throughout, just to read the scriptures? I don't have to preach, man, right there. All the stuff I've been preaching, that right there should have really just brought fresh revelation and summed up a lot of things that we've been covering over the last few weeks. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 to 5, it says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The title of my message today is United in His Death and Resurrection. United in His Death and Resurrection. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ says that God the Father sent Jesus the Son. Jesus the Son who is co-eternal, co-equal, co-existent with the Father and the Holy Spirit. God the Son stripped himself of his divinity and came to earth in the form of man. We call this the incarnation. In order for the Son of God, to die on the cross to pay the punishment for our sin. And he died that death on a cross. And three days later, the Bible says that he was resurrected from the dead. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ says Christ died. He was crucified for you. He was raised again from the dead to show forth that everything he said is true. That death has no dominion over him. So believe the good news and you will have everlasting life. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that we have all come to believe, most of us in here. And this is the gospel that we preach. Now, much of the church preaches this gospel message and we get people to believe this message. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ doesn't end there. I believe that we should always revisit and always make the gospel one of the central things, right? We should never forget the good news, right? But the good news doesn't just end there. Not only is the death and resurrection of Christ the foundation of the message we believe, it is the pattern of the life that we ought to live. Many of us get stuck in believing. Yeah, I believe that Jesus died for me. Yeah, I believe he, raised, he was raised again from the dead. I believe that. I believe that message. That's why I'm a Christian. And that's as far as the gospel goes for them. But the good news doesn't just tell you that Jesus did all this stuff and the Father did all this stuff for your salvation. The good news goes further and says, this message now is not something that you just believe in your heart and in your head. This is a message now to be experienced in your life. We are to be united with Christ in his death and resurrection. It is not just information or historical facts we believe. It is a living truth that we live out. Romans 6, chapter, uh, 6 verse 4 it says, We were buried therefore with him. Now it doesn't just talk about Christ's death here, right? 
it talks about our burial. Our burial. Have you ever thought about that? You just pause for a moment on those two words. What does it mean that we were buried? What? Turn to your neighbor and ask them, when's the last time you went to your funeral? I don't know of anyone in here. Unless there's somebody that knows something I don't. I don't know anyone in here that had a Lazarus experience. Who was raised from the dead. Anyone in here died and then uh, some miracle happened. You got raised from the dead. You should testify. I'll, I'll let you have the mic right now. Um. One time I was uh, serving at a wedding and I met uh, a gentleman from Africa. I was serving on the, on, the, on the wedding party. I didn't know who he was. He was like this jolly dude and you know, he was just hugging everybody. He was just so jolly. I couldn't take him seriously. Right? And then I, um, I, I looked at his name, but I didn't know really how to say his name because the way it's spelled, it looks like Pastor Surprise. So I was like, Pastor Surprise? What a weird name. Right? Well, later on, I'm listening to a podcast, and in that podcast, the pastor talks about a pastor in Mozambique that whom he prayed for to receive an anointing to raise the dead. And shortly thereafter, this pastor went on to raise like 16 people from the dead in one year or something like that. And then he goes on to say that his name was Pastor Surpresa. So I was like, oh, that sounds kind of familiar. Does this stuff actually happen? And then later on, I found out that that dude that was, that was in the wedding party with me, he wasn't just any jolly dude. He was going around raising the dead in Mozambique. And in fact, it happened so frequently that the, the ministry there, that they had to have a, uh, a system to define what's raising the dead. So, you know, if somebody, like, is in a swimming pool, I can't, and they go under, and you bring them up, and then, you know, you're doing CPR, it's not working. And then, you know, you, somebody prays and then doing CPR at the same time, all of a sudden they revive. Is that considered raised, being raised from the dead? You know? So they have to have technical terms. So they, they have to define how long you have to be dead for it to be considered being raised from the dead. Kind of funny, huh? Anyway, uh, how do I get into that? Oh, our burial, our burial. I don't know nobody in here that has died and raised again. I don't know anyone in here. You, you don't go to your own funeral, right? You go to your own funeral in a casket, all right? That's it. That's done, right? So what does this mean that we were buried? We were buried. Well, verse 3 tells us. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You see, back in the day when Paul was writing, baptism was very common. Meaning that almost everyone that ever got saved at that time, they almost always got immediately baptized. You know, it didn't matter if it was a swimming pool. They didn't have swimming pools. If it was a a river or a lake or an ocean, wherever they found a body of water, they would try to baptize them immediately. And so every Christian around this time uh, that were alive, it was common for them to get immediately baptized. Now, why was it so important for the early church to value baptism? I can think of two reasons. One, it's because Jesus commanded it. Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, this is where we get 
hints about the Trinity, a word that's never used in the Bible, but it's all over the Bible. All right, anyway, Jesus commands it, so we should take baptism seriously. If it's part of our mission as we go out to preach the gospel is also to disciple them, but also to baptize them, we better make sure we're baptizing them. So I know every good church has baptism. Now, not every good church has a bathtub, you know. But in, the, in, in that day, the Greek word baptizo only had one meaning. And that was immersion, right? And so, you know, I don't know. Sometimes church history, you know, they were like, man, we can't immerse everybody. So let's come up with a different techniques. So they were pouring water. After a while, they went to sprinkling, you know. And we don't want to waste holy water, so we just sprinkle people, right? Anyway, but every good church has some form of baptism, right? Because they take baptism seriously. But in a lot of ways... It's become so ceremonial sometimes that a lot of young people even that come here and join New Philly membership, you tell us that you got baptized. And a lot of times we'll ask you, okay, well, when did you get baptized? And they'll say, well, uh, I got baptized as an infant. But, oh, okay. When did you get baptized? I got baptized as a teenager. So, okay. Now, when did you get saved? When did you put your faith in Christ personally? When did you... Commit to Christ. When did you turn from your sin and put your faith in Christ and become a Christian? And they'll say, well, I did that uh, last year. I did that in college. And I'll be like, all right, well, young man, sister, you need to get baptized. Right? Why? Because you got to get baptized after you put your faith in Christ. Right? It's supposed to symbolize something. If you don't have that substance of something... That baptism don't mean nothing to you, right? And so for people that got baptized before they got saved, oftentimes we'll advise them to get baptized in the first place. You know, I wouldn't call it a rebaptism there, right? Now, uh, these are, uh, that was one reason. Another reason why baptism was so important in that day was because Jews in the Old Covenant had a sign of that covenant, and that sign was called circumcision. And the sister said, hallelujah. It was a sign that the men had to joyfully carry. Um, It was such a strong sign that, you know, see, the early Christians were all Jews. Most of them were Jews in the very beginning, right? And um, a lot of them became leaders in the church. And so some Jews started to spread, some Jewish Christians started to spread this idea, this teaching that if you really want to be a Christian, you got to subject yourself to not only the good news, but to the Mosaic law. And so you need to be circumcised. Now back then, a lot of the Greeks, a lot of these Gentiles, a lot of these non-Jews, they didn't get circumcised. It wasn't common. Now when you become a Christian, when you're like 22, 25 and you got to get circumcised to join that church. That's going to hinder you. You're going to think twice. You know what I mean? I mean, what if all the men in here, you know, what if that we required that for New Philly membership and none of the men in here were circumcised? And we were like, men, if you want to join our church, you must carry this sign. And we will do it right after membership class. All the men stick around. I mean, nobody will join our church. Right? 
And so these Jewish leaders, Jewish Christian leaders had to really think and, and, and do theology and think, you know, well, does it still apply to us today? And what the Apostle Paul got by revelation is that we no longer have to circumcise. That's not the sign of our covenant because we have a new covenant. And the new sign of that covenant, the closest thing we have is baptism. So you have to understand for Jews, circumcision was like essential. You can't compromise. It's a non-negotiable. So when they started to teach that now baptism replaces circumcision, baptism was a non-negotiable. You hear what I'm saying? So you have to understand why it was so important and why so many people, almost everybody who became a Christian went on to get baptized almost immediately. So when Paul appeals to this, uh, to baptism, to give an analogy of, uh, of being identified with Christ's death, everybody related to it. Everybody related to it. Now, so... Here at New Philly, if you want to join membership with our church, we do require this sign of the new covenant. We do require that you get baptized. It's not a legalistic thing, all right? We do it because we love Jesus and we want to obey the words he's spoken, all right? And, so, and, and it is a powerful symbol. It's got a lot of meaning. You might not get it. Like this summer, we had a whole bunch of people get baptized, like, 40, 50 people, you know, we did it in a kiddie pool on top of the Itaewon Sanctuary roof. All right, it was fun, right? Actually, the first baptism I ever did for New Philly, it was in a rushing river, super cold, slippery rocks. Man, I was literally risking my life for the gospel. <laughs> Serious. And then I did a whole bunch of people in the afternoon and then... Our brother Brian Wee arrived at the retreat like at midnight, and he insisted on getting baptized right there. So I had to put on my bathing suit and go out there with him in the pitch black. And I literally thought I was going to slip and die. If I slipped, I was going to make sure that Brian went with me. <laughs> We've come a long way. And kitty pool is much, I think kitty pool is much better. Alright. Um, so anyway, if you haven't gotten baptized, be sure to get baptized. If you're not a Christian, let me just t- say that baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't declare you justified before God. Baptism simply serves as a meaningful sign of what takes place when a person becomes a Christian. When a person puts their faith in Christ and has made a new creation in Christ. Baptism simply serves as a sign of that. Now, for now, let's just pretend, whether you're a Christian or not, let's just pretend everybody in here is baptized. So that you can relate to what Paul is trying to get at here. Romans 6.3 tells us that when we were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. So turn to your neighbor tell him, you were baptized into his death. So, Paul, what are you talking about? We were buried. We were buried. What are you talking about? Paul is talking about the identification, identification that we have with Christ's death through baptism. In other words, we were baptized through baptism. We identify with Christ's death. That's an outward symbol of what we identify with in our hearts. We do it through water baptism. 
Now, let me ask you a question. Why do we need to get buried? Why does Paul, why do we, when we become a Christian, why do we need to get buried? Why, why go through that uh, symbol of death? And then uh, here, obviously, most of the people are already baptized. Why does Paul need to remind them that they've been buried? Why? Why do we need to get buried? Because there are some things in our lives that just need to die. What is it? Your selfish desires. Your pride. Your lust. Your foolishness. It just needs to die. I'm telling you, it's better for your marriage. It's better for your relationships. It's better for ministry. That some things in your life, they just need to die and get buried. Now, a burial, it's not just something dying. You know, you can have something die. But when you bury it, it's like six feet under. You are done with it. And that's the image that Paul is using. When we come to Christ, the picture the Bible gives us is not a man, is not a uh, picture of a man becoming a better man or woman through Christianity. That's not what the Bible gives us. You know, that's more like a software upgrade. You know, and sometimes when we water down the gospel too much, it sounds like a salesman trying to sell you a software upgrade. You know what I mean? You know, your Windows operating system, you're having problems. Is it going too slow? Then upgrade to the new Windows operating system and your life will be better. And if you want to partake in this upgrade, just slip up your hand and we will make sure you get your software. We get your little upgrade. Sometimes when we water down the gospel, that's what the gospel sounds like, but that's not the gospel. Gospel is not a software upgrade. You see, becoming a Christian is not like a software upgrade. It's more like getting a completely new operating system. Not only that, getting completely new hardware. It's like going from a Windows laptop to a Mac. Yeah, I said it. Holy Spirit, bring conviction. Jesus doesn't want you to try to wipe off your laptop. There's just too many viruses inside. Too much spyware. Stuff crashing all the time. It ain't working. Jesus said, get rid of that PC and go to an Apple store. Get yourself a Mac, I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. All right, just one analogy, all right? That's just one, one analogy of the gospel. Uh, another analogy you could use is like your email account. Right, you know, some of you, some of us, our email, man, my email, man, I have so many email, I have so many emails in my inbox. If you open it up, it's like in the thousands, right? But then Google has this thing where you can prior, you have priority inbox, inbox, and then not so important inbox. All right, and I got really excited. I was like, yeah, I can keep my priority inbox at least somewhat empty. Man, it's in the thousands, all three of them. 
and I'm just, it just, man, it just seems like a black hole. Like, I mean, it's, it's tough to try to, there's a lot of emails, I'm sorry to say, that I never get to read. I'm sorry. I try my best. I try my best. I don't always get to read all of them. So it's not a matter of reading through all of them. It's a matter of trying to put priority on which ones are uh, timely, which ones are most important. Right? Not that y'all aren't important. I'm just saying. Anyway, email your small group leader. <laughs> anyway, it's like your email account. When you become a Christian, God doesn't want you to go in to your inbox and try to reply to all your messages and clean out all of your spam. No. God wants to give you a completely new email address. He wants to give you a completely new account, a new inbox, Christian Lee at newcreation.com. That's more like the gospel that the Bible shows us. And the best way to say goodbye to the old and welcome the new is through death. Through death. That's why Paul's using the word death here. You know, before we come to Christ, death is a scary thing. Death, you know, you know why terrorism is so terrible? Why, why so many of us? I'm kind of I'm happy. I used to live in New York, right? In Philadelphia, I didn't have this issue. But when I was living in New York, man, it was scary. World Trade Center got bombed twice. Second time it got hit, I mean, it went down. I mean, that's scary to live in a city where that stuff's happening. You know, and terrorism, you know, was just like, you're always alert. Now, that's why I like living in Korea, man. I mean, some crazy ajushis might elbow you or ajuma might push you. But ain't nobody going to come up and blow themselves up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, for all the times we complain about Korea, we should be thankful for that. Not only that, man, in America, every time I keep up with the news, some, some new college student goes into a campus, starts shooting people up, goes into a store, goes into a mall, goes, you know, what, what's wrong with Americans? Why? Why are they so trigger happy? Right? And um, there's benefits to living here. There's a lot of blessings to living here. Um, but, you know, what makes terrorism so terrible what makes it so scary is because of death. One moment you can be enjoying a nice dinner. You know, I, I went, when Aaron and I, we did our honeymoon. We did our honeymoon to Bali in Indonesia. And if you don't know anything about Bali, you didn't keep up with news. Right before our honeymoon, a couple of years before, right in the middle of one of the big times, uh, uh, popular spots. I think it's called Kuta, Kute, Kuta Day. All the Indonesians, come on, help me out. Kuta, Kuta. Uh, somebody, a suicide bomb, bomber went in and just blew himself up. And then a couple years before that, another suicide bomber blew himself up around the same area. So when Aaron and I were planning on our honeymoon, man, I was thinking, man, maybe I should just find another place to go. And I started Googling like videos and stuff of like Bali bombing. And there was actually a video of a guy at a restaurant, videotaping his friend, eating dinner. Next moment, some dude walks in. He, he follows that guy, and then boom, oh, it's an explosion. And I was like, oh, snap. Honey, maybe we should go somewhere else. Why? Because terrorism 
presents to you in your face, it confronts you with the fear of death. One moment you're there enjoying dinner, and the mo- next moment you're dead. At least disease is like, I'm about to kill you. You are going to die. Chemotherapy ain't going to help. Like Diseases will talk to you like that, but terrorism doesn't say nothing. Comes up to you, gives you a hug, and next thing you know, he's blowing you up. Right? Now, before we come to Christ, and for everyone in here who doesn't know Christ yet, death is terrifying. Why? It separates you from your loved ones. It ends whatever ambitions or, or money you saved up, college education, all them years spent on college education, boom, just blown to smithereens. You're gone. You're off the face of the earth. Not only that, if you have theories about what happens after you die, you're about to find out what really happens. And if the Bible is true and you haven't put your faith in Christ, oh, you are in trouble. Because the Bible says it is appointed unto a man to die once and after that to face judgment. God will bring into account everything. Everything, whether it's good or evil, the Bible says, he'll bring it into light. And he will judge those who perish without Christ. They will find the wrath of God meeting them on the other side. Now, a person who doesn't believe in Christ, they don't know all that, right? They just, they, they, they heard it. Maybe they heard it, you know, but there's that fear. Death is so fearful. And for, and for all of us, before we knew Christ, death was like this thing that everybody wants to avoid. Why do you take vitamins, right? Why do you eat healthier at least for three days before going back to junk food? You know, why do we exercise? Why do we do these things? Why? So that we can prolong death. No one wants to die. Prolong life. <laughs> Prolong when death arrives. That's what I meant to say. So anyway, for those outside of Christianity, death is still a terrible thing. But let me tell you what death is to a Christian. Death, if you're deceived, you're going to feel the same way as an atheist. But if you're walking in the revelation of the scriptures, death is not a terrible thing anymore. It's not this terrifying thing anymore. Why? Because for the Christian, even if they're confronted with an early death, there's no uncertainty, there's no fear, what if, what's going to happen? Death now becomes the doorway to paradise. The Bible actually tells us Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither life nor death. That means that whatever happens in your life, no matter how terrible or how boring, it can't separate you from God's love. But neither can death. In fact, the moment you get saved, you can never, from that point on, you will never be separated from God's love for all of eternity. There will not be even a second You know, you might be deceived into thinking, where are you, Lord? Where's your love? You know, you could be deceived into believing that. But the truth is, you're never separated from his love. Nothing can do it. Nothing is impossible to separate you from the love of God. So death no longer becomes a scary thing. So what do Christians do? We renounce your faith or we will chop off your head. 
and you stand before that North Korean soldier, and you stand before that Saudi Arabian government official, you stand before a Roman guard who's about to throw you into the lion's den, and you say, I will put my trust in God, and I will acknowledge him before men, and I will never deny my God. Just renounce your faith and we will, we will renounce your Christianity and we will let you live. For me to die, to live is to Christ, to die is to gain. How many, you know how many Christians have done that? You know, in early Christian his, church history, there are a lot of people that got martyred. But, you know, a lot of um, voices of the martyrs, you know, they're usually print statistics and say, that multitudes of more people got persecuted and died for their faith in just the last 100 years than all of church history put together. Meaning that there's immense persecution going on in the world. Uh, if you read the magazine, there's a lot of persecution that goes on in Indonesia. I remember when I was a college student, I would read the Voice of the Martyrs magazine, and I would see pictures of Indonesian women who had their arms severed off. About 80% of the arm got severed off. And somehow the doctors were able to attach whatever was remaining. And you see these huge scars. And, you, and then you, hear, you read about the testimony. And what happened was just Muslims would just go through their towns, these islands that were fairly remote. They would just go through with machetes and just killing off the entire village because they were Christian. And, and she barely got away on a motorcycle. And you hear about 400 people dying at once, a thousand people dying at once, Orissa, India, Hindus go through the town, burning people, you see, um, I saw this very, I mean, don't go looking for this stuff, right, I accidentally stumbled on a video of a pastor that was being burned to death, burned alive in Africa, and he just, he just was sitting there, and they were just, they just burned him, and he was, he was burning, and he was just sitting there, and they were kicking him, hitting him with their, the back of their guns, and he was just, he was just facing his death with this immense courage. How are Christians able to face this kind of death? How are, we, how are we able to find this type of courage? We're able to do this when we have a true revelation of the gospel. Meaning, not only do we believe that the Death and resurrection of Christ is the foundation of the message we believe in, but it's the pattern in which we identify ourselves with. We are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. When you are reunited with Christ, you realize that if God ordains for you a martyr's death, that's actually something of great honor. If he even doesn't ordain a martyr's death, but he ordains suffering for you for the sake of the gospel, Jesus taught in the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when people insult you, revile you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For in the same way they treated the prophets before you. In the same way, he would have gone on to say, in the same way they are going to treat me. If that's the way they treated the teacher, how are they going to treat the students? Just rejoice, because not everybody gets that honor. 
The gospel calls us to be united with Christ in his death and resurrection. And so in Christianity, death is not this scary, terrible thing. Death it becomes this powerful mechanism by which we are renewed into the image of Christ. We call this sanctification. Right? So death no longer becomes this taboo word. Death becomes this word that we kind of just throw around. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What does he mean by that? Take up your cross. Or are you supposed to go out and make a cross with two sticks and carry it around everywhere? Right? Well, the cross is a symbol for death. So what Jesus is saying is, if you really want to follow me, you need to learn to deny yourself, deny your ambitions, deny your rights, deny, you know, whatever you put yourself first, you got to deny that. Carry your cross. Embrace death. Be united with me in death. Learn to die to certain things. Put to death the misdeeds of the body. Crucify your flesh. You got to take up that cross. Only those who take up their cross can really follow me. The rest, they're going to they're gonna follow me for a little bit. And then when things get hard, they're going to fall away. If you really are in it for the long run and you really want to love me, you really want to know what it, understand what it means to be my, to be my follower, you got to embrace death. We all need to learn how to die to ourselves. We all need to learn how to embrace and be united with Christ's death. We need to put to death old patterns of thinking. We need to just take them and, you know, take just, you know, sometimes even as a prophetic sign, just take like your old patterns and be like, these are my old patterns of thinking. I'm going to put it in this chair. This chair is not just any ordinary chair. It is an electric chair. And this is the switch that's going to turn it on. Old patterns of thinking. You just got need to put it to death. I just helped some of y'all right there. That might sound weird, but that's exactly what the Bible says. It says, crucify, nail them to the cross. What is a cross? It's just a modern, it's an old ancient version of an electric chair. Ancient version of a lethal injection. No, not, not even. Lethal injection doesn't even come close to what the, well, how torturous the cross is, right? We need to put certain things to death. We need to take the sword of the spirit and say, lust pattern. You know what? Come right here. Lust pattern, come. Bam! <laughs> Die, lust pattern! Just need to stab it and put it to death. Like, literally, we need to get, what? Put it to death. What did I say something wrong? Stab it, yeah. Yeah, stab, lust, chop off his head. You know, when, when David killed Goliath, it's a powerful picture of what we should do with sin. You know what I mean? I mean, sin through demonic manifestations will come at you and mock you, belittle you, tell you you're nobody. Look at you. You looked at it again. Look at you. You did it again. Ha, 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 ha. little weakling, you little loser. What are you coming at me with rocks and sticks? What am I, a dog? Ha, ha, ha. You ain't going to do nothing. Nothing. And it mocks you. These demonic voices, they mock us and they, we feel terrible. We feel shame. We feel guilt. We don't want to come, come to church because we feel terrible. We don't go to small group because we, whatever we promised we would do, we ended up failing at. 
We end up identifying with all these things. And David gives us a great picture. David looked at him and didn't even wait for Goliath to come near him. David, he ran at him first. And then, you know, I mean, he had a good shot, right? Hit him, boom! You know, and that, that I mean, especially with the anointing on that rock, I mean, that thing hit him hard. But I'm telling you, I bet, I bet Goliath was on the ground like, oh. I bet I think he was trying to get up. I bet you he was trying to get up. David went over. What did he do with the sword? He cut off his head. You know, a lot of times we take our prayers, we take our rocks, we knock down sin, and sin's on the ground. And it's like, it's like about to die, right? And we, we go over and, and we go, ah, oh, now I'm safe. And what happens in every movie, right? In every movie, what? Jean-Claude Van Damme in Bloodsport, right? You know, he turns around from Bolo and thinking, you know, Bolo's down, Chung Lee's down. And, you know, Chung Lee gets back up, right? We need to finish our enemy. We need to bury him. Make sure he's dead. Now, too many of us, you know, if we're like a hotel, we need to learn how to tell sin there's no vacancy. You know, there's too many of us, we run our lives like a sleazy motel. When in actuality, we're a five-star, luxurious, royal hotel. Royal resort. We need to only make space for the most honored of guests, most purest of things. You're supposed to be like a banyan tree. You're supposed to be like, uh, you guys don't know about the tree, um, uh, okay, Grand Hyatt, uh, you know, Ritz Carlton. You know, that's what you are. But Satan has deceived you into thinking, no, you're a Motel 6. You're a budget motel. And we need to tell sin, no, there's no vacancy here. Every room has been filled with God's righteousness, joy, and peace. So, goodbye. We, 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 we reserve the right to refuse certain customers. You know what I mean? Too many of us, we leave a guest room for sin. And then when we least expect it, sin gets right back up. And puts us in a mixed martial arts move and, you know... Next thing we know, you know, we're bleeding and, and defeated. We need to learn how to put to death the misdeeds of the body. And the original question Paul's trying to address here in chapter 6 is found in verse 1. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It's a common question asked by a lot of the young believers. You know, if every time I sin, God's grace abounds, then maybe if I keep sinning, then God's grace will abound even more. And God will get more glory. And, of course, we go, you know, that's just a stupid question, you know, but we don't know how to answer it. We need to read the rest of the verse here, right? He answers this question by reminding us that we've been buried, right? Instead of directly answering it, he gives us this beautiful picture. He says, if sin is dead to us, why will we keep sinning? We might stumble here, we might stumble there, but why will we keep at it? Why would we ever go back to that bondage? 
Why would we keep on sinning if sin is supposed to be dead to us? We need to be reminded that when we sin, it doesn't prove that we are hypocrites or failures or losers. It just reveals that we're focusing on the wrong resurrection. Let me talk about this. If something is dead, what is required for it to be alive again? A resurrection. Well, the Bible, if the Bible is speaking truth, the Bible says, consider yourself dead to sin. Sin is supposed to be dead. To a Christian, it's no more. It's been buried. But you know what happens? Satan comes and he wants you to believe that sin, con- that that actually isn't true. That it's like, you know, positionally true, but experientially, no. That's actually not true. And, and Satan tries to lie to us and say that sin continues to have dominion over you. In other words, he wants you to believe that something that has died has been resurrected. He wants you to focus on that resurrection, the resurrection of sin. But here's the thing. There is no such thing as a resurrection of sin for a Christian. It is a complete lie. But when Satan can get us to believe that, we start to think different. We start to behave different. He can put you back into a bondage that God has clearly given us deliverance from. God has clearly given us dominion over. If you look here in verse 14, it says, Sin will have no dominion over you. Look to your neighbor, tell him, Sin will have no dominion over me. Sin has no dominion over you. But Satan wants you to focus on and identify with the resurrection of sin. But God wants you to focus on and identify with the resurrection of Christ. Be united with him in his death and resurrection. There is a new you. That was birthed the moment you put your faith in Christ. And Satan has been trying so hard to oppress that new you. That new creation that's created in, in Christ in true righteousness and holiness. He's been trying to oppress that. But, uh, and Satan's been lying to you and saying, you're, you're really just a hypocrite. That's not you. You never get that. That's not actually you. This is you, the old self. That's, that's you. And Satan tries to lie to you. As long as you are under that cloud of deception, the more that you will confront your sin problems, your thinking patterns in the wrong way. The more you focus on this, Lord, uh, Pastor Christian, come pray for me because the power of sin is so overwhelming. It has kept me in bondage for 11 years of my Christian walk. Pastor Christian, I think you got a greater power. Oh, thank you, but... And you need to pray for me to break off sin's power. And for right there, it's not, a, it's not a clash of just power. One power overwhelming another power. In those situations, you got to bring in truth. I say, young man, check this out. It's not that sin has this crazy dominion over you. It's that you've been deceived. Satan's making you focus 
on this scrawny, weak, actually, it's not even alive. It's dead. He's made you believe that a corpse has dominion over you. He's trying to play you as a fool, son. The truth is, sin will have no dominion over you. Death no longer has dominion over Christ, the Bible says. Well, in Christ, death neither has dominion over us either. Sin and death no longer have dominion over us. When we are freed from some of the most central core issues that everybody on earth struggles with, when we are free from the the grip of sin, when we are free from the fear of death, that enables us to do God's will on this earth with reckless abandon. But it's actually not reckless. It's just logic. You know what I mean? When a, when a, when a young man in India is about to get killed by a Hindu extremist, and the Hindu extremists have surrounded him and says, look, just renounce your faith in Christ and we'll let you live. It might look like reckless abandon for that young man to say, never. I am my beloved's and he is mine. As he gets his head chopped off. That might look like reckless abandon to the world. But from heaven, heaven simply says, that young man got it. He got it. It's not that he's just special. It's just that he just, he understood correctly, clearly. So I just, I just want to close with this, which means it's meaningless, by the way. No, no, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close with this. Um, as I shepherd New Philly, I see a, young, a lot of young adults, um, once they get really filled with the Holy Spirit, they really start to read the Bible, really start to walk in the ways of the Lord, especially for Korean families. Usually the Korean parents will sniff it out and notice, my child is acting different. And in the beginning, they'll rejoice and say, oh, my daughter is doing dishes without me telling her. My son is actually mowing the lawn. Actually, we don't have lawns here. My son is watering the plants. Wow. He's, he's coming home early. He's having dinner with us. What a good son. What a good daughter. First, they rejoice. But when they realize the radicalness of the gospel, that it's not just a little software upgrade, but their son and daughter just got a new Mac. When they realize their son and daughter has been radically transformed, then they start saying, whoa, wait a minute, I don't like this. This is not Christianity. This sounds like a cult. Why? Because Christianity has, the church has gotten so watered down with tradition, cults have a better reputation of passion than Christians do. So anytime Christians see passion, they think cult. Because the church isn't doing it. Anyway, so next thing you know, I got another parent calling New Philly a cult, you know? And you, know, you can't just go around saying, you're a cult, you're a cult, you're a cult. 
You know, first of all, you cults are defined cult by doctrine. That's number one. And the second is through practice. Okay? We have very healthy, strong, clear doctrine in this house. I'm very conservative in my theology. Meaning that I believe, I believe in the right thing. <laughs> I believe in the truth. I know this liberal theology stuff, all right? Um, but not only that, we have, we have healthy practice in this house. Anyone who, who is discerning in the spirit, they will understand that the things we do is not by the letter, not by the letter of a policy or a rule or a dating policy. If you, right? If you really get it, you know the spirit behind it. And when you understand the wisdom behind it, the spirit of that wisdom, then you, then you gladly, you gladly go along with it. You gladly submit. Because it's life to you. It keeps you from foolishness. It keeps you from marrying the wrong person. Man, how many young Christians marry the wrong person? And then God says, well, you know, I tried. I tried to tell you. You can't divorce her now, by the way. You know that, right? What God has joined together and let no man separate. It applies to you too, young man. Um, and when, when young people encounter this immense opposition, and by the way, when Korean parents oppose, they oppose. <laughs> and first of all, they, they assume that they will get your cooperation. And when they don't get your cooperation, things get a little crazy. There are many Korean dramas. Uh, they're all based on true stories. And a lot of it is Confucianism. A lot of Confucianism here. And, you know, a very common one is, you know, one of the grandparents or the uncles, or well, not uncle, one of the grandparents or the mother would suddenly get sick in bed and refuse to get out of bed. And then start telling you, the reason why I'm sick is because of your disobedience. It's because you keep going out to this church. So this can't be God. This must be the devil. So stop going out to New Philly. Stop trying to uh, become full-time staff of Campus Crusade. Stop trying to be a missionary to uh, Afghanistan. Just let it go because you're making your mama sick. And what is that? That's a straight manipulation. All right, because, you know, I mean, she might have had a migraine, but she just popped an Advil. She's out. <laughs> Mom, here, drink some water, you know. That's very common. You know, another, I mean, I'm not going to point it out, right? And then what young people will do to me is they'll come up to me and say, Pastor Christian, why is God allowing this to happen? Does God love me? Why is God allowing this to happen? Why? Why do they say that? Why do they ask that question? Why? Because they think Christianity is about trying to maximize security and comfort. So when that security and comfort is not reinforced by Christianity, but actually gets broken by Christianity, they start thinking something's wrong. But in fact, in fact, 
they're right where they need to be. In fact, that persecution is actually a blessing. It's meant to make them stronger, turn it for their good. They're bringing out and exposing certain demonic bondage in your family that you should be praying about, but you will never pray about unless you confront. Here's a thought. On the other side of eternity, we're going to get to enjoy maximum security and comfort for all of eternity. Can I tell you that right now? If you had a question about that, let me clarify that question. On the other side, there will be maximum security, comfort, not only that, joy. Unending joy. Heaven is like like when Steve Jobs was still around. It's like a, a, an Apple keynote address. It's like going and finding out, wow, God is so much better than I thought. He gets better and better. You know, it's, it's, that's the eternity, man. God's just going to, he's going to be like, well, I'm God and, I, and there's more. And I got more. It's going to be unending joy. It's going to be maximum security comfort. So check this out. Are you comforted by that truth? Well, if you're comforted by that truth, then what is just a little bit of momentary affliction in comparison to eternity? You know what one person said? One person said eternity is like drawing a circle around this huge building and then making a little slit on that circle. That's your life compared to the size of eternity. It is so momentary. You know, the Apostle Paul goes on and he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. This light and momentary affliction, it ain't nothing compared to the glory, the joy, the peace that we're going to all come into and experience. So if God ordains for you a little bit of affliction, a little temporary suffering, a little opposition for your mama and daddy, I got news for you. You're blessed. Uh, let me read to you something here. It says that um, in, um, I'll, just, I'll just summarize it. Jesus said in one place, he said, um, oh, sorry. Okay, I, I won't read that. Okay, never mind. All right. He, he's talking about in certain families, there's going to be division. And he said some of those who face family division, are going to be delivered over to death. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you, you might think you have it bad because your parents are opposing you, opposing your marriage, opposing your ministry, opposing whatever you stand for, whatever you're believing in, which is pretty much just the basic gospel. When they oppose you, you think that's bad? Think about, man, some of, some of maybe even some of us in here, we're going to get delivered over to death by our parents. Now, that's unthinkable for us, but for Indians... For those in North Korea, happens a lot more frequently than you know. But here's the, here's the thing. Only some. Which means it may happen to you or it may not. <laughs> hey, that should, that should comfort you. It's only some. And, and if you are that some, 
you're actually blessed. If Satan really opposes you that bad, there must be something good that God's up to that Satan's trying to stop. Because every time God was trying to do something new on the, uh, on the earth, when he was about to bring Moses to deliver onto the earth, you know what happened? The Egyptian pharaoh got crazy and started killing off all the Hebrew babies, threw them into the Nile River. When Jesus was about to be birthed, Satan sniffed out, there's something crazy that's about to go down. Let me oppose it. And he got crazy on King Herod, and Herod went around killing off all of the babies in that area. If you're facing that much opposition, it's, it, it must be a sign that God's about to do something big through you. And all you got to do is hold on, identify, be united with Christ in his death and resurrection, walk through it, get through it, and glory will be revealed in and through you. Jesus said, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father. And a daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This Easter Sunday, if you want to experience true resurrection life, we got to be united with Christ in his death and resurrection. God will open up to you an abundant life that will blow your mind if you will learn to take up your cross and follow him. All right, let's say this. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that in this room, You are establishing your sons and daughters. You're rooting them out of deception and establishing them in truth. And we thank you that God. That each person. Will learn to be buried. They will bury. The old ways of sin old ways of thinking, the selfishness, they will learn to put to death the misdeeds of the body. They will crucify their flesh. They will learn to be buried with Christ and be resurrected to a new life. As surely as we identify with his death, we will also be resurrected in the life that he has been raised up to live. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that your grace abounds to your sons and daughters. And for every person in here that has living, been living a Christian life, that has been full of failures, stumblings, bondage. Lord, I speak truth over them today. That the Son of, of God, Jesus Christ, sets them free. And when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And even though they may not experience it right away, I thank you that they will experience it. That it's not just the message we believe, but it is the pattern that we ought to live out. For sin has no dominion over us, and neither does death. For Christ has won that victory. 
And we have become more than conquerors in Christ. We thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.